welcome back to another episode of This Week in IPNO. We are, of course, always live from the table in my kitchen. We have a very special guest this episode. We have Assistant Director James Erdodu. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Sure. So to get started, from what I've heard through the grapevine, um, you're... You have some like expertise in um, in like home lawn maintenance, you know, the trees, the anything to do with that kind of stuff. Um, so just to start, actually, before we even jump into that, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we jump into that, can you kind of just uh, tell everyone who's listening that maybe doesn't know you kind of what you do on a day to day basis? OK, um, so quick background so you understand where I came from. Um, I graduated from Rutgers University. I studied uh, environmental planning and design through the landscape architecture department. Uh, got into the industry, more of the maintenance side of what I do. And I ended up coming back to Rutgers and I'm in my current position now. So yes, I'm, I'm the assistant director of the grounds department. Uh, Pat Harrity is our director. Uh, Michael Keefe is the other assistant director. Uh, I oversee all the Bush and Livingston campuses and several off-campus properties, uh, Knightsbridge being one of them. Uh, and we also, I also have been up to Newark um, campus to help them with certain things. I've been to Cream Ridge as of recently to help them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, my department, my team, we oversee pretty much everything outside other than your underground utilities, your high voltage lines above ground, we pretty much oversee everything from your trees, your turf, your plants, the flowers, a lot of event support. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much a good summary. Yeah, and snow yeah, is another big part of what we do is or the snow removal for the university. Yeah, that's gotta be a big one, especially mm -hmm. just because of how big Rutgers is. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess just going back to what I was, uh, saying earlier you know for for people at home you know you you manage all this space and all this uh, all these trees you know on a huge scale what what kind of advice or would you give to someone looking to you know do that sort of thing but on a small a smaller scale in like their own backyard or front yard so i think if as far as managing trees like if, for example if you own a home you have an existing, you know, landscape, existing trees, is really kind of being cognizant of what to look for. Mostly abnormalities, right? If you see a bunch of holes in your leaves, well, that's not normal. You know, just kind of being cognizant of, you know, a browning of a leaf or a trunk peeling or it's dropping leaves too early. Um, those types of things, it's really the first step is identifying an issue, right? Um, you know, and, and, and really, and also there's a lot of great resources out there. Um, and I always say, if, you know, when you're trying to manage the trees and at your own residence, really knowing what tree you have, right? So how do you do that? Uh, I, me personally, you could ask my staff, they always see me out there taking pictures. Um, Google lens is a great resource for a homeowner where you just take a picture of something, open up your Google photo app select Google Lens, it pretty much, it's pretty accurate when it comes to identifying uh, plants. I, I use it constantly. I just used it yet, uh, the other day. So 
that's another good resource to have, you know, for someone who's trying to understand what they have at their home. Um, another great resource is our Rutgers Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension has a vast amount of resources for homeowners who are looking to educate themselves on, you know, tree care, turf care, um, shrub care. And they even have a, uh, it's called a pest and uh, pest and disease. Uh, it's like an alert system. Essentially, they'll put out an article if there's something going on in the state and they'll alert the community of, hey, keep an eye out for this, keep an eye out for that. Um, and then, you know, large scale issues at the home. Again, I always say, you know, speak to a certified arborist. You know, they'll, they're the professionals, they're certified in it um, to come out and just take a look at what you have, you know. But again, the biggest challenge is knowing you have an issue. Once you know that, then you could take the next step. So speaking to pest problems, we have a, we've had a big problem with the, with the lantern flies in New Jersey. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> is that something that's been on your radar for a while? <clears throat> what, what's kind of going on with that, in, with specific to Rutgers? Well, definitely on our radar because they, last year they were everywhere. Uh, so a couple issues. So uh, I, I'll start off by saying we're only as good as the research we have, right? I know within Rutgers, our entomology department is doing a lot of research on it, possible treatments, possible native pests. You know, that, that's the one thing that doesn't, that doesn't seem to have a native pest. For example, like if you have an aphid problem in a tree, more than likely it's going to get infested by ladybugs and ladybugs will eat the aphids. So it's a natural pest. Um, right now, we don't seem to have that with the lanternfly. Um, you know, there's a couple methods that people have proposed of treating it, but it also it's, it's, it's a, has a pros and cons. Um, you know, I'll piggyback on a letter that my, you know, Pat Harry sent out where you could do it's a systemic insecticide where you could treat a tree with a product called Merit. And then when the nymphs come out in the springtime, the tree already has the insecticide. Essentially, it'll take care of the nymphs and when it's in the nymph stage. However, you run the risk of hurting the pollinator population on campus because that product will also hurt them. And it's a very controversial. So, you know, unfortunately, right now, the, the, the lanternflies are not really having an impact on our plant health specifically. Um, a, lot of, a lot of it's more driven towards agricultural, you know, wineries having a big issue with their grapes, with the lanternflies. Uh, so we're monitoring, you know, as far as scraping eggs as much as we can. But again, I'll use Livingston as a good example. It's surrounded by the eco-preserve. What do you do with that? I can't, we can't spray the entire campus with a pesticide. That's, you'll kill off all your beneficiary insects. Um, so it's ongoing. It's ongoing, uh, you know, entomology within our, within Rutgers is doing a lot of research on it. So hopefully we'll see what they come up with. Do you actually need to be uh, certified to spray these trees? Well, Yes and no, right? I think as a homeowner, um, there are certain products you could purchase through, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's that you could use on your own, you know, insecticides, more general insecticides. However, when you get into some larger treatment protocols, it's always best to have a certified arborist to provide that service, um, especially when you get into tree injections that we do for a lot of some of our ash trees and some of our elm trees that 
you know, that, that, that homeowner shouldn't be doing that, you know, especially you should be licensed for that. When you say like tree injection, mm -hmm. what, what does that mean? Like I'm, I'm picturing like a big, like, it looks like a, like an oversized syringe that like, actually, <laughs> like, are you actually injecting yes. it with something like that? It is a syringe. So it, it, there's different, different products. Um, I'll use, I'll use our elm trees and ash trees as an example. Um, on Bush, between the astronomy building and uh, Cirque, there's an alley of ash. So I, for, for those who are not familiar, emerald ash borer is another insect that we've been dealing with. Slowly made its way towards the East Coast. It's devastating. It, it, it takes out a lot of the green ash and a lot of the ash population in, in the region, including, including our campus. Um, however, a couple of years back, we made a decision to target specific ash trees that we want to keep and protect. Um, and there's reasons behind that we could get into. Uh, but, but this alley of trees is about 30 ash trees, 15 on each side, that creates a beautiful alley that you walk underneath. So we made the decision, yes, to inject it. Yeah. So what they do is they drill, depending on the DBH, the diameter breast height of the tree, determines how much material, and then determines they'll drill about a foot off the ground and set up the injections. And yes, it is a, there is a syringe. Some, you know, sometimes they use a 55 gallon drum and the tree just takes in all this material and it gives you uh, ash trees. You get, um, I believe ash tree was every two years. Elm is every three, we treat them. And we have, we have a specific list of trees that we still treat. So yes, it is a big syringe. <laughs> and, and you were just sort of touching on, on something that I was also thinking about. Like you said, every two to three years, you need to inject these trees. How do you, how do you decide what trees you're gonna keep and what you know maybe isn't worth it for you to keep going out there um, if it ever even reaches that point? Like, you know, these ash trees, you said, they always need to be getting uh, these injections because of a certain bug. Like, how does that decision making process happen of what to keep, what not to keep, what trees to put in instead? I, I would say, I mean, there's probably a couple attributes that I would take into consideration. And then we, this is also, um, I'll, I'll give credit to Brian Clemson, our university landscape architect. There was a lot of collaboration with him as far as, you know, what are we doing as far as, because we, we had a lot of ash trees that we did take down um, on campus because um, the cost to treat every ash tree was astronomical. Um, and there's a lot of attributes. Again, I use the alley between psychology and circuit It had a certain value. You can't replicate that shape and that look and that that um, you know that environment. So we made the decision to save those. Um, the front of the Livingston Student Center. There's a whole alley and run of ash trees that were treated. Um, so I mean, you got to consider the cost of replacement, cost of treatment, um, you know, the value of its habitat, what it presents, what it gives to the local community as far as its aesthetic look. Uh, because to treat that many trees, it, it could get quite expensive, and that's you know that's we need to be cognizant of that. So instead of treating trees that we know are going to be an issue, is putting together a plan, which we're currently working on, replacing our tree canopy on campus, right? Um, and selecting, having a list of trees that work on campus are resistant to certain pests and disease. Uh, um, and looking at really 
diversifying, you know, not having such a monoculture of trees on campus. Um, so yeah, that, but and the elm trees specifically too, that's, I mean, we have a very beautiful elm tree on Livingston in front of Linton Towers that we, I've been injecting for probably close to eight years now, but it's a, probably one of the largest elms we have on campus. Um, a few at the president's house as well. So yeah, it, it, there's, there's a lot of things that go into kind of figuring out if we're gonna do it or not do it. Hmm. Does it get to a point where like, you know, you, you, you inject the trees like X amount of times and then like the bugs, like it, it builds up some sort of resistance to it naturally, or is it like, it doesn't matter. It's just every two years it has to, because it depletes to well, X amount. I haven't had any issues uh, specifically with the ash or the Dutch elm disease, which is the issue with the elms. The products we've been using have been effective. Uh, however, again, go back to, is it sustainable? Is it something we want to continue doing? Um, and then that just comes back to our effort to have a plan in place to replace these trees with something more, you know, less susceptible. It's, you know, susceptible, not less susceptible to these types of pests, but yes, they're right now we've been okay. At least the select areas that we have been treating, the trees have been holding up pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then one more thing I was wondering. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I used to have a, uh, I used to have a garden at uh, my house that, um, that I used to live at. I know Rich grows, grows peppers too. Um, what, what's, what's one tip for those people trying to grow stuff at home that like, because I, I, I've had problems growing some things, some others just like grew no matter what, like it could get set on fire and there would still be something that, that yeah, grew. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. so what, what, what's, uh, what's a tip you'd have for people who are doing that at home? Specifically vegetable growing? Yeah. Okay. So it actually, depending on what kind of vegetable growing, right? Like me at my house, I have all raised cedar planter boxes. I don't, I don't vegetable grow in ground. So that is a little different. Um, in ground, first and foremost, soil test. You all my opinion, no matter what you do, do a soil test. We have that, we have that service at the university. Uh, it's very easy to do. You have great instructions online and you just pull some samples, throw it in a bag, send it off to ASV on route one, and they'll give you a great analysis of what you got. So what I'm saying is if your soil pH is off, right? If you're acidic, acidic, or you're having a lot of micronutrient issues, you're not going to know any of that unless you do a soil test. Uh, and I think that's your first step. And then from there, just understanding what you're planting, right? Every, every, every plant, you know, not just vegetables, but every plant likes a certain pH. They like some like sun, some like shade. Um, so understanding what your plant likes, that's key. Uh, watering, you know, some plants don't like a lot of water, some like a lot, you know, poor drainage versus good drainage. So understanding where's the water going. If the water is sitting, more than likely it's gonna be a problem. Uh, so there's a lot of that to, uh, to consider when, at least at home, but always, always, always start with a soil test that, that, you know, above ground, everything will look great, but underground, if you're having issues with the local soil chemistry and, and um, a structure, you know, that's key. And, you, and then you follow that up with amendments. You could, you could fix the soil. You could add more compost. You could add micro, you know, micronutrients, uh, but you can't, you won't know any of that info unless you do a test. I didn't, I didn't even know that Rutgers uh, like offered that as a service to do that. Yeah, that's do we, awesome. yeah, we do. We do it all the time. Yeah, that's cool. Well, thanks for coming on and for uh, explaining all that to us. I feel like a lot of people 
may not understand like the depth of that operation, um, especially when you have just so many campuses and so mm -hmm. many trees. Uh, mm -hmm. It's definitely a big, a big undertaking. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, thank you for uh, for talking to us about that and, uh, and, for, and for doing everything you do. And um, as as we always do, if there's any last word you'd like to say, uh, mm -hmm. we'll 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 give you the floor. Ah, thank you. Um, uh, two things I want to say. So first thing is, I definitely want to acknowledge the hard work of the entire grounds department. Um, from our four persons, our landscape technicians, our equipment operators, um, assistant directors, our director, our mechanics. You know. Rutgers University is a very large school and, you know, the work that our team does is, you know, very essential to, to the university. And I want to make sure we, I, I want to acknowledge their hard work because without them, none, none of this is possible. I mean, I could go out there and inject trees and that type of stuff, but the work they do every day is very, very, very important to the mission of our department. And that kind of ties into my second thing, you know, you know, pre-COVID, there was a lot of attention for outdoor living laboratories. How do we create an, a living laboratory outside that students could use to really pretty much learn what they're studying, right? Landscape architecture, urban forestry, water resource management, you know, just to name a few, you know, that has been one of our key goals is creating these living laboratories that the students could come out and use. And, and, I, and I take great pride in it. I know my coworkers take great pride in it because, you know, post-COVID, a lot of you know, students want to be outside. They want to, they want to, you know, apply what they learned on the field. And, you know, that's some, some of the things that we're, we're trying to initiate and help grow with, uh, with certain departments at the school. But other than that, I really appreciate you guys having me on it. It was a good time. Yeah, no, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you again shortly. Mm -hmm.